What is going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's Pardon the Disruption, which clearly is going to be an amazing show because we decided to start 15 minutes late. I am your host, Matthew Potter. Going to go ahead and uh, get into it, but a couple things real quick. Make sure you're checking us out on our new YouTube uh, channel, at Pardon the Disruption. I am your short sale guy. I'm your hedge fund guy and also the co-founder of the family tree over at Real Broker. Go ahead and reach out to me for more info on any of those things. The way that we do things around here, there will be five questions that our panel are going to go ahead and answer. We're going to give them roughly about 45 seconds. Might chop it up a little bit shorter uh, for, you know, time constraints. And uh, then they're going to get two minutes to go ahead and our not argue, but they will go ahead and work on validating their point. And then whoever is the winner will get a point. We're going to start off with introductions, starting off with last week's champion. We have RJ Bates. Yeah, RJ Bates uh, out of Fort Worth, Texas, Titanium Investments. Really appreciate it starting on time since I have a flight to catch. So uh, that's my intro. Absolutely. <laughs> Just off that intro, you know it's going to be an amazing show. Looking at you, Next Potter. Up, <laughs> next up, we have Steve Trang. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, boss. Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. I do everything in real estate except for property management. So uh, if there's anything that could be done wrong, I've done it. So if you need any help or consultation, I can definitely tell you how not to do things. Absolutely. Way to be an example, Steve. We appreciate it. All right. Next up. Leon, don't forget the G Barnes. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, first of all, do not adjust your screens. I am a late, um, a late intro here for Eric Brewer, who was uh, delayed on a flight, just like RJ is going to be here real soon. So, <laughs> Leon G Barnes, <laughs> the collective with the collective genius. Uh, I am fifth in rotation, but first in PTW hearts. Wow. <laughs> that was probably one of the greatest intros, Leon. We appreciate it. Last, certainly not least, coming back to us this week, we have Chris C.J. Jefferson. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Chris Jefferson, Richmond VA, the U, Charge Up University. Uh, excited to be back. Looking forward to it. Uh, great to see uh, all these familiar faces. Uh, let's pod. All right, let's pod. Awesome. 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 All right. We're going to go ahead and jump into question number one. What traits does an entrepreneur need to handle the ups and downs of entrepreneurship? Start us off, RJ. Yeah, I think you need to have a similar mindset to like a, a NFL quarterback. You know, you need to have a short memory on uh, the bad plays and also not get too high on the, on the victories. You know, I mean, uh, it's a constant ongoing battle. Um, where every decision that you make has uh, a huge impact on the future for your business. And uh, just like, that's, that's good, Potter. Bro, I don't know. That's a really good answer. <laughs> this is probably the best answer ever given in PTD history, and you just ruined it. Jeez. Well, I'm getting the point for this one for sure, but – Short-term memory. I mean, I, I think, you know, don't get too high, don't get too low on either the, the failures or the big ones. All right, all right. Sorry about the uh, board having a mind of its own over here. That really was not actually intentional for once. All right, Steve, what about you? Ups and downs. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, grit. I think that's the single most important thing, right? The resiliency, the ability to keep going when, when things aren't going your way. Uh, 
we see a lot of people leave the industry and you know you hear that uh the story right like uh, uh inches from diamonds or three feet from diamonds right it's like people might quit too early there's a lot of adversity there's a lot of challenges look things are going to fall apart all the time we did this show live last week and when brian manley and the door <laughs> next door his power died i had to go run in the middle of the show to grab an extension cord so he can get his computer up and running things go south all the time and if you don't have the resiliency and the grit to go through it <clears throat> you're not going to last Definitely. Great. Very important. All right, Leon, what about you? I like that we started off with this question because it made me think of all the people that I know are very successful. And I started writing down, you know, their, their traits, you know, uh, vision and consistency and problem solving and, and, and really patient. But when I boiled it down to the people that I know that are the most successful, the trait that stood out was just laser absolute laser focus. Uh, they set a goal. Uh, they reach that goal. They set a new goal and continue to be laser focused. As an entrepreneur, just as being a W-2, successful W-2, you're going to have ups and downs uh, in your business and in your life. Uh, but if you're laser focused on the end goal, I think for me, when I think about my friends that are the most successful, they've just been laser focused on the end goal. Perfect. Perfect. We appreciate that, Leon. <clears throat> All right. Next up, Chris, what about you? Yeah, I think you just got to have the ability to absorb failure. Uh, I think being an entrepreneurship is rooted in failure. Uh, trying anything to be great at it is rooted in failure. Uh, you know, let's face it, we're all living uh, in the social media climate, the social media era where, uh, you know, people post all day, every day, but, you know, they're, they're posting highlights. And so we have people that get into the business and all they see is the highlights and they think that their business or entrepreneurship journey is going to be just a full-blown highlight reel. Uh, but there's losses in there. There's injuries in there. You know, there's, there's morale issues in there. There's just failure all around entrepreneurship. And I think it's just having the ability uh, to process and push through it at all times and continue to move forward. Yeah, so I'm really worried with, uh, with Leon's answer because that means I'm screwed. Like I am not the epitome of laser focus. This is, uh, RJ's got the well, hedgehog like concept, you know, uh, but yeah, it's laser focus. I'm screwed. <laughs> My intro says I've done anything and everything in real estate except for property management. All right, I'm out. But I, I agree with all of our answers. I mean, I, I think mine, mm -hmm. Steve and CJ's was pretty similar there about how to overcome the, the failures. But to Leon's point, uh, when you really look at the the people that are most successful, they can sit there and, and tell you in one sentence, this is what I'm focused on doing right now. This is what I'm doing. Um, it's not, yeah, I'm, I'm flipping 25 houses and I own 200 rentals and I'm wholesaling 75 houses a month. Uh, you don't really hear that from the highly successful people. They say, hey, I'm wholesaling 100 houses a year. And those are the ones that are living the life that I think a lot of people want to live. Yeah, they have a clear identity. I'd like to follow up on what, what CJ said, too, because you're right. All the answers are correct um, when it comes to the failures that come with this business. Um, does anyone, you know, this is useful for our audience. Does anyone know anyone in this business that is super successful that never had failures? No. No. Not at all. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward no from all of us, right? I mean, the most successful people that we know within our community, 
within the real estate investing community. Uh, some have failed more than others, but everyone has had losses. And, and, and if, you're, if you're in the boat of never having failures or never, never having losses, then you're probably not setting your goals high enough. Yeah, yeah. we had a... Uh, Go ahead, Steve. We were talking about certainty talks a moment ago with Paul Sparks, right? And like the person I brought up was Mike Watson. Like, has, has anyone had like a, a more catastrophic scenario and an even better comeback story, right? Like you have to have massive, I mean, he lost everything for all the wrong reasons. He just got screwed. Yeah. Those, those that lost in 2008 that have, that have come back and built their businesses even bigger. If you are someone that knows someone like that, or even if you don't find someone like that to be a mentor, because um, if you have not had losses, and uh, CJ's talked about this, uh, I think we all have, investors that got in this business, you know, 2018 and beyond until last April, they hadn't seen anything, uh, any type of struggle. You know, it's all been rainbows and unicorns in this, in this industry for them. You know, surround yourself with people that have gone through some troubling times because they will come eventually. Just just in closing it, I think, too, it's important to speak just on the macro failures, too, right? Like, it's not always even the wide sweeping ones. It's the deals that fall through, the the contractor that burns you, the hole that you open in the wall in your first fix and flip, and now your budget's up 10, 15, 20%, and now you've blown profit. Having the ability to to manage and deal with these things when they occur is just extremely important when it comes to entrepreneurship because it's just bound to happen all the time. That's just the journey. That was a great round. I mean, everybody brought in great information. Pretty much all agreed across the board, uh, which is great to see. Um, probably a first in PTD history as well. Um, just for the deeper dive, uh, we're going to go ahead and award that round to uh, Leon uh g barnes over there next up we have with the powerball reaching a billion if you received a billion dollars for your business what would you do with that start us off leon all right so i believe that a billion dollars or big powerball earnings these type of lottery winnings i think just like alcohol this accents who you are if you were to win a billion dollars, like whomever it is in California that won yesterday's billion dollar Powerball, uh, whoever they are as a person today, they will be a bigger version of that with more money in their pockets today. So for me as a business owner, you know, giving, um, improving my community, and I say community, communities that I live in and, and do business in. Uh, is something that I would continue continually to double and triple down on, whether that's buying properties, buildings, what have you, and continuing to make, you know, facelift uh, the community as well as giving back to those uh, nonprofit organizations that are doing the best, um, um, the best work within the community to continue to make it better. That for me is what I'm doing already. So with just more money, I would just put more fire uh, to that cause. Very nice. Very nice. Just scale it much, much larger. All right. What about you, CJ? A billy? I mean, let's be, let's be real, man. I'm gone. You guys aren't going to see me. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about here? A billion dollars? I'm on a beach somewhere. I'm relaxing. I'm investing in other businesses, uh, doing venture capital, angel investing, and uh, I'm enjoying my life and family, man. I'm out. I'm I'm not even mad at that. 
All right, RJ, what about you? Real, real talk. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to mirror what I love, which is real, real estate, with two things that I think we currently need here in the United States, and that's going to be food and energy. Like our grid needs help. And so I would be going out and I would be buying huge tracts of land for solar farms and uh, buying farmland. Um, why? Because I already want to own land. I want to own the real estate. And I think at that point in time, you have a responsibility to, you know, your, your country, to the to other people that don't have a billion dollars uh, to do the right thing. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be like CJ. I'm probably going to take some time also just to relax as well. Oh, I don't think CJ is just taking time, dude. He's literally going to be on his own <laughs> island, out. bro. Like he's <laughs> out. Forget yeah, out. it. The the cell the cell phone service has left the building. <laughs> yeah, man. Charitable work and and and, and angel investment venture capital. That's it. A hundred percent. All right. What about you, Steve? I mean, I think I'd just be doing the same thing I'm doing now, right? Like I, I think you know, buying real estate. Uh, creating content to inspire entrepreneurship, helping other business owners develop their businesses. And, you know, something we've talked about a lot is, you know, starting that hedge fund. So, you know, we're going to be the biggest buyer, right? So we're going to like, Hey, everyone send me your deals, right? Before we're saying, Hey, send me your deals. So I can maybe wholesale it, maybe do something else with it. No, like I'm going to be the biggest buyer uh, across the country. That would be the intent. So I think just doing more of the same, the only difference is I'll be doing even less work, which is if possible, mm -hmm. right? There will be a lot more who's in place. I'll be doing a lot less of the work, but I, I'd be doing more of the same things we're doing today. It's going to be like Whoville around here. To be clear, what Steve, Steve said was, is if he got a billion dollars, he would continue to do the exact same thing, which is 10 <laughs> deals a year. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but they're gonna well be said. those are gonna be ten. Those are gonna be hundred million dollar deals. <laughs> yeah, bigger deals. I think all of us are very similar in our answers. That you know maybe we're not working as hard. We're giving back, uh, but I do think that you know when people say, "Well, I'm just going to end up on a beach," for personalities like ours, we'll get bored really, really quickly. So you have to have something still from a a goal standard that you want to accomplish in life because just because you have a billion dollars doesn't mean that life is over. And I would still do some fun things. Time constraints didn't allow me to say the fun things I would do, which would include I'm investing in some type of sports organization. I'm, I'm buying into an NBA franchise, an NFL franchise. I'm figuring out how to get into the game with, you know, that level uh, of, uh, of ownership. Uh, but that's some fun stuff. Uh, but I, I, I go back to I truly believe that more money just makes you more of who you are. So if you're an a-hole, you'll be a bigger a-hole. If you're a giver, you'll be a bigger giver. Leon, I, I agree, man. I was right there with you with the sports franchise. Like, But to me, a billion dollars now is not enough to buy some of these franchises. So I'm like – Get you I a hockey team. To get Peace. started. <laughs> right. I gotta go. I gotta go do something else. So some residual income with some solar farms and some farmland, and now I'm gonna go buy my sports franchise. So for sure, I'm getting a new phone, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer. So like, I'm gonna reach out to Potter, <laughs> CJ, uh, you know, Leon, and then RJ. I'm gonna sell you like a digit at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the blueprint already exists out there. You know, I find it interesting when you guys say, you know, Steve, you do a lot of the same thing. RJ would go do solar farming and, you know, there's a ramp up period to go do those things. Like you can't get a billion dollars today and just all of a sudden you, you're developing solar farms. I think the blueprint is when you, 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 when you can create a lump sum of money, I think we all could agree that the real balance is in the, the lending position, right? Uh, having, having the money. And I think the blueprint shows that the opportunity is really in joint venture opportunities where somebody can be that funding partner to an operator in any type of business, whether it's a liquor business, right? Uh, type of distillery, whether it's, uh, you know, sports team, whether it's whatever, the real leverage of capital and how it's leveraged against all of us in this moment is being in the position where you can go make multiple operators go do the work and you could increase your revenue 10x. That's the blueprint. That's the play. I wouldn't go be a solar yeah. farmer. I go invest it as a joint venture in a solar farmer, be the bank for them and get a nice return in equity on them. This is why we would all take the lump sum, right? Because we know how to invest it and make more than them holding it for us. 100%. That was a great round. Uh, going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and award two on this one. I'm going to give it to Steve, number one, hedge fund. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Love it. Number two, I'm not mad at Island Life over there. Like, I, I'm not. So, CJ, going to go ahead and throw, throw one to you as well. You know, not saying anybody's answers were wrong, but let, let's be real. Those are both great answers. All right, next up. What do you make of Redfin's reporting that 14 out of every 1,000 U.S. homes changed hands during the first six months of 23, down from 19 out of every 1,000 during the same time period in 2019? What does Redfin's report mean for home buyers? Start us off, Steve. I don't think it really means a lot for home buyers. I think at the end of the day, right? We always people ask, "When's the right time to buy? When's the right time to sell?" It's like when you need to buy house. <laughs> you need to sell it's like that. Everyone's situation is entirely circumstantial. You don't buy a house in two years if you need a house today, right? Uh, this uh, every time someone tries to time the market is when they get screwed. And so I think at the end of the day, it ultimately comes down to your situation, what you can afford what interest rates are, and so on. This thing about the right time to buy, right time to sell, I, I've never, we've very rarely seen it for a person that's going to live in a home where it works out for them in the long run. For investors that are buying portfolios, okay, yeah, you got you know metrics and things to look at. But for a person looking to buy a home, <clears throat> I think these, these things where they're trying to time the market is usually where things go wrong for them. All right. Good insight. All right, Leon, what about you? What are your thoughts on this? I, I generally, um, in this particular, with that answer, I do agree with some of it, but I do think that buyers uh, should be keeping an eye on this. Uh, I think it goes back to something that Eric Brewer mentioned, I think six months ago, if not before, uh, about this may be the as time for those that are FHA and VA buyers, the opportunity is now. Um, think about it. I, I read that article and there was 30% less inventory for the buyers now versus the same time prior to 2020. I mean, there's a lot less inventory and an FHA the VA buyer missed out on a lot of properties the last three years. I think it's something as a buyer, if all things are equal, meaning that you've got the down payment saved up and 
um, you're ready to make that jump. I do think this is something that you, you definitely keep an eye on. And if you're ready to buy, you should buy. Uh, if not, I don't think you should panic. There's going to be other opportunities. But inventory, I don't see this anytime soon getting better. Definitely. Uh, inventory is going to continue to be a struggle. All right, CJ, what about your thoughts? Yeah, this in my world right over here on the East Coast, this is kind of like when people say, hey, Potter, you know, should I do business during the winter? Right. <laughs> you know, should I wait until March or April to start selling houses again? No, look, I mean, the reality of it is this 92%, I think it is 92% of homeowners have an interest rate right now under 6%. They have no incentive to sell unless they have a requirement to move. But now we're in this remote work environment where people have even less of a reason to have to move from where they're kind of getting situated at. Um, I think Leon is right in many ways, right? Like if, if, if now's the right time for you to purchase uh, or you have a need to purchase, people are going to be doing that. I saw a report yesterday where uh, new home, uh, like builders are excited right now for, for new home construction starts uh, because there's such a lack of inventory that they can just continue to create markets all across the U.S. So, you know, do I think the report uh, has weight on what you should do in, in some ways? But I also think that you should sell during the winter, too. Good insights. Good insights. All right, RJ, what about you? What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, what does the report mean for home buyers? I think what it means is is that five out of every one thousand people realize that the interest rates are no longer in the mid threes and they're in the mid sixes. I mean, uh, to everyone's point here, uh, why are you going to to sell your house and move to have a higher interest rate now? And that's pressing the issue on the inventory levels and the people that are looking to buy, it's becoming harder and harder. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon with where the interest rates are. Um, I talk to people all day, every day where they're saying the exact same thing, where it's like, I have a lot of equity and I'm thinking about it, but does it make sense? Because I'm going to be paying so much more on my new loan. And I think that's what's really slowing people down from like where what this is saying is proper homes changed hands. I don't think that the, they're wanting to do that right now. I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, I think that, you know, again, like I mentioned, the remote work piece, uh, I think that's uh, has a lot of impact. And I, I mean, ultimately, I think there's going to be a time frame where people have to settle into what interest rates are now and what they're going to be uh, and what that range really kind of looks like. I think right now people have this figment of imagination where, somehow we get back to three, four percent interest rates. Don't see that happening. Uh, I think that that'll get a little bit more realistic, you know, around the time the election campaign start to ramp up for 24, the economy, things like this start to become a real serious talk point. But uh, you, this is the new climate. This is the new world. And you got to figure out how to do business or live in it, depending on what hat you got on. Yeah, I think let's just look at the six percent, right? Let's just say it stays the same for the next 10 years. It doesn't change, right? then really what you're looking at is it just has to, your current situation has to suck enough that you're willing to have a higher mortgage payment, right? Like I got that HAMP loan back in 2009. My interest rate went from 6.75 to two, right? I stayed in that house as long as I could. I bought that house as a bachelor and I stayed in that house until I had my third kid. And after my third kid, it's like, all right, this house is way too small, right? It has to suck enough to justify a larger interest rate. And that's the reality, right? Like, it does, it's not painful enough to have to move. Until it's painful enough to have to move, then you will stomach that higher interest rate. 
or, or the incentive, right? So it has to suck enough or the incentive has to be high enough. Mm-hmm. I think builders are going to be forced to get a little bit more creative. I think us as investors, when it comes to design and what we're doing with properties and how we're making them functional for people in this remote living environment, uh, that that is what's going to really start to drive pricing, I think, again. Uh, you don't think it's the gray paint and, and, and white cabinets? That's not going to do it? Hey, man, I, I think you're going to have to start switching it up. We're, this We've never seen anything like this before. I would say of all of the homeowners that I've talked to over the past three months during my lives, the vast majority of the sellers are not selling due to any sort of financial um, distress. It's due to, hey, I inherited this property or it was a rental property that the tenants now have vacated and I don't want to. So I want to cash in on my equity. It's always something, it's not like what we were seeing previously where there was a lot of the pre-foreclosures and those financial distress. And I don't know if that's unique to the way that I'm generating leads or if that says something also about, hey, the reason why properties aren't changing hands, like Steve said, doesn't suck bad enough to sell my house to go pay double the interest that I'm paying right now. I think I'm okay with just staying where I'm at. That was definitely some great discussion and insight right there. I, I like hearing from you guys on this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give Steve-O the point on this because I think this is the first time that we've ever had the advice of it doesn't suck bad enough to be the actual winning advice. <laughs> but it's a great point. Like, it is. It's a great point. Like, you got to get that that pain point to be able to move something right now. Like, that's just the way that it is. Um, next up, we're going to go ahead and go to question four with AI, like chat GPT quickly automating mundane tasks inside real estate. What roles do you see AI taking over and which will require humans start us off, Steve. So, you know, looking at business, uh, the way I've equated it, uh, uh, is, and learning from Darren Hardy, right? Like there's the heart surgeon, that's the operator. That's the guy that has the experience and knows how to handle the most challenging situations, right? When everything's going wrong, you need you need the heart surgeon to come in. Then you got the, the nurse to prep them. You got uh, the doctor to open up the chest cavity, right? Like there's just different degrees of, of uh, skill required throughout the transaction or throughout an operation. And I think it's the same thing in a real estate transaction. I think the cold outreach is eventually going to get automated by AI. I think lead manager, at least by text, is going to get automated by AI. I wouldn't be surprised if a voice AI is booking appointments for us in the future, if we got transaction coordinators being automated by AI, I don't, I see a future in two years from now where myself as a sales trainer is no longer as necessary because we got sales AI, right? I think a lot of these things are going to happen and what's going to be irreplaceable is the, the person with the experience, the seasonality who can understand how to problem solve and diagnose different challenges. I think that's where the last realm of where AI will not replace us. Good thoughts. All right, Leon, what about you? Man, I'm, I think I'm two for two with agreeing with Steve. I do think long-term, that almost every single role that we currently hire for within this space that are not executive level and or skill driven, that long term voice um, AI technology will continue to get better that 
the majority of the positions that we hire will be taken. Um, I think that this is something that I talk to young people um, quite often about is skills can never be taken away. The same thing that our great grandparents told our grandparents and grandparents told us, those skills can never be taken away. So from the standpoint of the surgeon reference, you know, if you are a plumber, AI is not going to be doing plumbing in the future. They're not going to do HVAC. They're not going to do electric work, right? These are things that no matter what, you as an individual will be always hireable um, and AI won't take over that technology. So skill sets, executive level, as well as from a day-to-day work skill. All right, CJ, what about you? What are you seeing with AI? Uh, I, I agree a, a lot with both what Leon and Steve said. I was going to say a lot of what Steve said. I think one thing that, that AI could be used for right now, uh, and I think it could be pivotal to, to our industry and what we're doing, uh, is credit repair, man. Uh, there are uh, AI credit repair tools out there right now. Credit is a significant issue uh, in the U.S., right? And I think that uh, you, you have all these realtors, like Steve's got a brokerage, Potter, you're a realtor, uh, all the time. You got to have conversations with people about what the state is of their credit, how to make adjustments to repair their credit. Uh, right now, man, you've got AI tools where you can upload your credit report and the thing will essentially do it for you. Uh, and so I think that's going to be one of the things that uh, in the immediate uh, people can take advantage of right now. Uh, a lot of things like Steve said uh, are also kind of already happening, you know, when it comes to uh, managing text conversations, there's bots that do that for you right now, right? That can communicate right now with sellers, have full-blown conversations, manage those conversations and escalate it to a phone call. We're looking at deploying that in our internet business as well, right? Talking with prospective students, people that are interested in the program, interested in our different products. Uh, you know, the, the, the conversation can be had by an AI tool for that now and in the future. Support. Uh, I think what's scary in closing is... Uh, will AI become regulated because of how detrimental it will be to the job, uh, the job pool kind of across the country? Uh, but those are my thoughts. I like the credit aspect. That's a that's a good one. I haven't heard that one a lot. All right, RJ, what about you? What are your thoughts with AI? You know, I think it's interesting because I look back as I was a kid when the Internet came out and and seeing how that impacted my parents' business. And now being an entrepreneur myself, seeing how pretty much our entire business is run through the internet at this point. And I think that's going to be like the next step with AI. I would, I hope that there's two positions that AI can replace because they're probably my two least favorite things about real estate. Sorry, Matt. Um, realtors, I hope that there's a way that that can be replaced where, hey, you're just pushing paper. So here, little AI, push some paper for me and title companies. Um, Hey, can you push some more paper for us so the people that actually have skills can do their jobs? Um, Sorry, Potter. Probably not going to win this point. (laughs) You might as well just go catch that flight, bro. Uh, I I do think the one thing that it can't replace would be uh, the sales role, uh, the closing role. I don't, I think that people still rely on that human to human um, relationship and interaction. So I don't see that ever being replaced specifically with real estate investors. Last note on this, 
Um, I thought it was adorable that Steve said it's going to take two years for his sales training to become irrelevant. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You go and totally redeem yourself. Well done. (laughs) Hey, CJ, you're you're, you're scoring him on Sunday. I'm scoring him on Saturday, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There you go, man. There you go. Perfect. perfect. (laughs) To to your point, RJ, um, the, the sales of things, I do see that AI could take a piece, a percentage of sales, no different than when we go to the grocery store now and go through those those self-checkouts, right? There's an element that some people don't necessarily, if you could right now call one of these institutional buyers or put in something on an institutional buyer's website and they spit you out an offer, you never have to take uh, talk to a human. There is a percentage of people that would take that option. So I do think it could even take some of the sales uh, perspective of this business. Technically speaking, to your point, Open Door already has that where you can go on their site and you essentially get an offer just going through their, their website already, right? Uh, right, but it's not completed, correct? They have to then send you a contract and do all the but my my point in saying that is the whole thing could be automated in the future. Um we had a uh, Blaine Dorsey, right? He's with Obi uh down in Florida. And um he did an entire transaction where they never once talked to the homeowner. The entire escrow was from Initial outbound contact to close of escrow was text message. They just refused to get on the phone. Um, I can I can see that in in all, all positions. To CJ's point earlier, he was talking about um, you know the um, the things that could. Um, gosh, I just totally lost my train of thought. Steve, you said something there that threw me off for a second. Uh, but um, in general, I think that you will see positions go away um, but with new technology comes new positions this is the same thing that you know the, the people in the 1920s and the 1930s said well computers in the 70s are going to take jobs away there'll be someone that needs to continue to make sure that ai technology is growing and, and working properly and just think about how easy it would be to have ai just do order taking like hello this is rj like wow. it's incredible. All right. <laughs> Steve, the greatest transaction I've ever had was through text message. It was on batch TV. I sent a text and said, Hey, this is RJ. Are you looking to sell your house? She texts back 200,000. I said, what's your email? She sent it to me. That was the entire communication. I made a $50,000 assignment on that. Never spoke on the phone. We never we sold it to a hedge fund. We never went and saw the property or anything. It was the best transaction I've ever had. Louisville, Kentucky, baby. RJ, the order taker. We love it. Yeah, baby. You you love orders. You love it. All right. Uh, This round, just because of the little bit deeper dive, I'm going to throw it to CJ on the uh, credit repair side. Plus, clearly, RJ is not going to get the point for, you know, (laughs) making me unemployed. So, you know, we got that going for us. I'm going to be on an unrelated (laughs) note. I'm 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 going to be on Titanium's team. I'm going to be the number one number one salesman uh, by next week. Uh, All right. Last question for today. How should governments provide more financial support and incentives to encourage entrepreneurial ventures? I'm excited on this one. I think there's going to be some good discussion. 
Start us off, CJ. Yeah, I think this is actually a great question. So the data shows that black women uh, as entrepreneurs are the fastest going, fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurship. Uh, unfortunately, though, they're the most limited when it comes to capital uh, to be able to put into any type of entrepreneurship uh, journey that they're on, right? Or any product service that they're trying to create. So I think we're in this environment right now where lending requirements have been tightened. Uh, SBA isn't funding businesses, unfortunately, as easily at the moment. Uh, so I think there should be some accountability with big institutions from the government uh, to create opportunities for people to have access to capital that generally have been marginalized and haven't been able to get it. Solid. All right, RJ, what about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for me, it says government provide. It's like, uh, that's like so anti-me. It's just like, go away and stay out of the way, personally. Um, if you want to offer some sort of incentive, um, it needs to be on the, the tax side of things. Like, relieve us of the money that we earn and that you're taking. Uh, give us some sort of incentives on that and Right now, with the administration we have, it's all about more taxes and making it more difficult for us. So for me, it's just about, hey, allow us to go out. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a visionary, you're a creator, you already have that in you. Allow those people to go out and thrive and don't try to suppress them with taking the income that they're going out and generating for themselves and for their families. All right. A little bit different spin. Same result, a little bit different spin. All right, Steve, what about you? I think the government should never subsidize anything. I think that there whenever they got. subsidize is when things get in trouble. However, uh, I think going back to uh, incentivizing, though, is they I think they can reduce the, the tax burden, right? And so, like, I think the best thing about entrepreneurship is that we can create uh, jobs and we can change lives, right? So I think the way to incentivize more uh, hiring more people Right. Because I think that's the most important thing is instead of having I think it's like uh, 15.3 is what we have to pay for being self-employed 7.65 for every employee. Right. In tax in um, in FICA. Right. If we took the 7.65 percent I have to pay to employ somebody to the government, maybe took it down to three or four percent. Right. But then I can actually use that money to hire more people. So I think, again, the purpose or the best thing for the government is to have as many employed people as possible. And the best way to incentivize that is to allow us to hire more people. Steve has never wavered ever on the government should not be involved in anything. Like he is undefeated when it comes to that. All right, Leon, what are your thoughts? He's very focused. He knows, he knows his lane. He stays in it. Um, this is one that is tough, right? Because... We live in the best country in the world. We talked about this during the 4th of July episode. You know, we live in the best country in the world. And yet it's so frustrating when it comes to government talk as entrepreneurs, because we know that the best way to get things done is through private enterprise and not necessarily through the government. I do agree with RJ and Steve that, you know, taxes is something that uh, we can continue they can continue to help us with as as, as entrepreneurs 99.9 percent .9 of all businesses are small businesses help the small business owner continue to hire people uh, and to cj's point there are a lot of issues that can help that that the government can help subsidize today and also for tomorrow that we know 
will help this country be better today and tomorrow. Like, for instance, CJ has mentioned this several times on this show about affordable housing. We know that is an issue, but I don't see, and I could be, I could be missing it, but I don't see in communities across America this being subsidized by our government to continue. We just talked about 30% less houses are available to those that are looking to buy a house since uh, 2019. We know that's an issue. Focus on the top issues for today and tomorrow and subsidize those as the opportunity uh, to continue to make the country better. So CJ made a point about credit repair, right? Is there any one institution with worse credit than the federal government? Like, don't think do about anything. You suck at everything. Don't yeah. do anything. I, I've never felt like I have a little Asian brother until right now when Steve is about this topic. I think part of the danger, though, in, in Steve and in RJ's perspective, is some, at some point we got to have a realistic conversation about the fact that uh, cost of goods, services, and, and cost of living all right, to the point of affordable housing is increasing, all right, uh, as it has historically forever. Uh, what also is happening, though, for the first time, I think, ever, is wages aren't increasing. So the, the same, the RJs and Steves of the world have the perspective at the moment that, well, we shouldn't increase minimum wage. Hey, we shouldn't increase, uh, you know, people's salaries. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. And the problem starts to become, how are these people going to afford to live? We're going to have masses amounts of people in our kids' future that aren't going to be in positions where they can even afford to live without government intervention. So I think the real conversation should be at some point, it's not that we don't want the government to intervene, but how can we as the people have some, some speaking power in how the government does decide to do so? That comes from voting that comes from getting involved in politics at a local level. Most people don't even know their superintendent is, right? And so really getting intentional about how, are, how you're leveraging your existing dollars to have things changed and done, because if not, then they're just going to do it for the people that are giving them money. And that's, that's a conversation that definitely should be had. On uh, that note, CJ, since buying the country club and that being such an eyesore and a problem for the city of Fort Worth, the amount of meetings that we've had with our representatives and the government officials, uh, even on a very local level, all the way down to our district, um, it starts with the entrepreneurs. They are there. The representatives are saying, I have been voted to work for you, but I need you as the business owner to tell us, what do you need? How can we support you? We have these tax incentive programs to help you. Do you need sidewalks? Do you need lights? What do you need? So it is up to the business owners. And that's one of the things that I've learned from going from, hey, being a small time real estate investor to doing our first large commercial project. It was like, holy shit, these people are literally saying the words. So it's like, I'm here to serve you, but I need you to give me direction. Otherwise, I don't know what to do because I'm not an entrepreneur. I didn't choose to be an entrepreneur. I chose to be a state representative or a city representative. So that's where it's on our shoulders. Um, if I could just make a proposal, just maybe a one specific episode, I would love to have a deep dive conversation on this particular topic, what CJ is talking about, his perspective, RJ, my perspective, right? I would love to have a, a, a longer, deeper conversation about this. I think it'd be 
interesting. Might get us canceled, but I think it'd be interesting. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Like, even if we did, even if we did one on a, like a, I don't know, like a special day or something like that. This is, uh, it's definitely a good conversation. Um, I'm taking this one to the chat because I want to see what the people have to say. And we literally have a tie between RJ and CJ. So that actually, that even goes to Steve's point of, man, a much deeper dive on this, I think would be friggin' awesome. Um, so point to each one of you. Um, we do have a sixth question and RJ, I know you're trying to catch a plane. So just have cat, just have Cassie answer. Um, you're clearly not going to win today, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> should entrepreneurs be incentivized or penalized for investing in underdeveloped or economically distressed areas to revitalize communities? Go ahead and start us off, RJ. Oh, where's the question at? I didn't even hear it. How should Bro, I just read it. You, Come on now. Should entrepreneurs should be for buying in and underdeveloped areas? No. Should I mean, you be incentivized or penalized for investing in underdeveloped or economically distressed areas and revitalizing the community? Well, we're already incentivized. And I, I, I think if the government is going to be involved, what because my choices are penalized or incentivized, it should be to be incentivized. <laughs> I would prefer they just stay the fuck out of the way. Uh, that would be amazing. But if they have to insert themselves into whatever I'm going to do, then yeah, incentivize us because clearly that's what the community needs. They need real estate investors coming in there to bring that part of the community back up. Um, so yeah, this is incentivized all the way. All right, team incentivize over here. What about you, Steve? I think we already see this, right? Is uh, they're opportunity zones, right? Like in, in areas that are really, really bad, uh, you can get almost all your taxes removed, right? Um, which, you know, to the last point, we didn't say this earlier, but I also hate corporate welfare, right? I don't think government should be giving money to anybody, right? Uh, but uh, they have this already opportunity zones where if you could take, you can, if you can invest in an area that they've determined needs to be revitalized, you could take all the taxes that you had deferred and eliminate them, right? Like there's a lot of investors that have large looming tax bills that are investing in opportunity zones. So uh, I don't think they should do either, but if, again, between the two, I would choose incentivize <laughs> versus penalize. Steve is not for corporate penal punishment from the federal government. All right, Leon, what about you? I think this goes back to our last question is if the government is going to be involved to understand the needs of the community to understand the needs of the country. And this is one, this is an incentive uh, for sure. All day incentivize opportunity zones to what Steve just said. This, as soon as the question was asked, I said it does exist currently opportunity zones is that, and if they're going to be involved, this is a great example of understanding the needs of the people and giving entrepreneurs the opportunity to go in, make change, and incentivize them to do it. All right, so we got three for incentivize. What about you, CJ? What are, what are your thoughts on this question? Yeah, I mean, I think we're all going to say incentivize. I think part of the issue, though, is is like if, let's take what Steve says with opportunity zones. If you actually look at the data about what happened with the opportunity zone program, the the harsh reality of it is is that it didn't really benefit marginalized communities that really needed it. It, it benefited what, what is seen at a federal level as the affordability index for whatever that particular region or locality is. 
But if you look at the opportunities on maps in most neighbors across the country, a large majority of them didn't actually fit neighborhoods that really needed incentive uh, for people like us to come in and develop it. And if we're just going to be totally honest, myself included, as business owners, investors, developers, things of that nature, our goal is to make as much money as possible and find as much revenue as possible for our businesses. Mm -hmm. And so the government has to incentivize us because ultimately, if you can't go into a marginalized community and make any sort of profit and you're the one taking on the risk, you're the one putting your life on the line and putting your family's futures on the line, and the government isn't willing to support or help you in being able to do that, uh, that's in a very tough spot. But as Leon, Leon mentioned, it goes back to the last topic uh, because you got to go out and vote, man. I mean, the people that make these decisions on what the opportunity zones are, they're the people that you vote for, the people that decide decide uh, what is affordability, what is the, the income level per year that means affordability. It's not low income. It's not low income. All right. It's mostly middle class when it comes to affordability. That's based on the people that you vote for. So ultimately, ultimately, yes, incentive is needed, but it's needed to be pushed by us the right way with good intentions, which I don't know if that's the place that we're ever going to be at again. But there you go. I mean, I would probably win every part of the disruption if I got to do a mini podcast for every answer that I gave. I mean, this dude just took six minutes to answer. Bro, he took the two minutes. You didn't chime yeah, in, dude. Potter, you, know. Potter, you know what's, you know what's hilarious? Uh, RJ, you rallied towards the end of your response, but at the beginning you fumbled quite a bit. Uh, and it was kind of obvious and clear to us that uh, you had no idea uh, the fact that incentive is needed in certain areas and certain communities. <laughs> the question was so shocking that he yeah. asked who for you know why it's so shocking, RJ? You know why it's so shocking? Because you've just never thought about it. What are you talking oh. about? Where's the mute button? Bro, you got your mute button. Press it. You got to fight to catch Potter. You know the guys, man. Go ahead, Potter. Go ahead. Potter, you know what's up, man. Go ahead, Potter. Hey, when we do PTP in person, bro, I got a bet on if I physically assault you or Eric Brewer first, okay? Wow. Wow. Bro, bro, listen, you don't even want that type of smoke. You're going to have to wear hockey equipment fucking with me, bro. Actually, that Andrews how tall Eric Brewer was. And when I found out he's actually short, I said, okay, Eric's going to be the one. You're yeah, you got. You might want to go that direction, man. Yeah. Go <laughs> so for everyone that's wondering what we're talking about here, we, we're doing PTD live <laughs> in Tampa, Florida, right? So uh they made an exception to let rj into the family mastermind so we can do this event uh so we're gonna be on stage live in tampa florida on i want to say september 26th somewhere around there uh so it's gonna be an awesome awesome event at family mastermind thanks for thanks for the first review, time all RJ. five of us first time all five of us together are, are we gonna go to like an hour and a half format for that no i'm hoping that they start serving alcohol when we start that's, that's my I, hope. I think that is a terrible idea. I think everybody <laughs> is in agreement that's a terrible idea. I heard RJ had a great drinks episode with Alex Sines. I, th I think if we can relive this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I don't even know. All right. Um, hold on. I'm, go I'm going to the chat. I, I got to take a look at this. I'm not even making informed decisions anymore. I'm just going to the chat. I want to hear from the people. CJ got the point that round. CJ does win. That being said, CJ is absolutely going to annihilate RJ in person. PTD. <laughs> you, like, look, we got we got goalie Bates over here going against Gretzky. It's going to be like a whole thing, man. I don't know. 
All right. I think Real CJ top. is like eight inches taller than RJ. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even mad at that. Um, all right. Everybody, thank you for joining us today. Sorry that we got started a little bit late. Kind of had to rush through a little bit of this. But we, as always, thank our panelists. Great job to everybody, except for RJ trying to make me unemployed. Um, go ahead and catch your flight, boss. We, we understand. Um, as always, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, checking us out. We're going to go ahead and say bye. We'll start off with our champion today. CJ, say bye to the people. Bye, people. Always a vibe. Always fun to do PTD. Always fun to beat uh, RJ most especially. Uh, <laughs> 7 p.m. tonight, Eastern. All right, starflippingdeals.com. We got a class going on. Nothing is for sale. Just come home, hang out, learn about real estate. I'll see you there. Awesome, awesome. RJ, you want to say bye to the people before yeah. you uh, go get on the Learjet? Yeah, just for <laughs> reference, because I know we're always on camera. I'm six foot tall. CJ is just that fucking big, okay? <laughs> uh, like an NBA basketball player without any skills, all right? So, kind of like Potter in real life, you know? Wow. going to be on a void. So uh, appreciate today's episode, guys. See you all next week. Uh, tune into the Closers Olympics press conference. Uh, starts here in a couple of hours. That's always a good time. So tune into that. See you guys. Make sure you call your bookie in Vegas. Put your money on RJ. It's a guaranteed yeah. L. <laughs> All right, Steve. Say bye to the people. Fun episode as always. Got to talk about got to talk about some deep stuff. So as always, uh, a pleasure. Got to you know chop it up a bit. So great time as always. Uh, thanks, thanks you all. Thank you all for watching. And Steve, we also do appreciate you coming with uh, some some great uh, answers today. It's a lot better than the last uh, eight to nine weeks that we've been uh, doing the show. We do appreciate it. I'm more that. informed. I'm feeling more informed. I, absolutely. Every day we're more informed. I'll give you the cheat sheet for next week. All right, Leon, what about you? Uh, say bye to everybody. Bye, everybody. Fun show today. Learned a lot, including that AI will take over really soon host and judge of PTD wow. because <laughs> clearly he let the chat run the vote today. So we know AI can take that role in the future. Love you. Matt. Wow. <laughs> All right. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and head out. Apparently I'm unemployed. I'm looking for employment. So feel free to go to hirematthewpotter.com. Check it out. You got fired from hosting and realtor today. Man, this is a rough day. Man, well I don't know. See, hey, CJ, can I get some? Can I get on payroll over at the U, bro? Come on, you know we got you, bro. There you we go. We you, He's got me <laughs> covered. Join, jump on the webinar so you can learn how to wholesale. There, there we go. Go. There Ab go. Absolutely, absolutely. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> it was great being here. We will see you guys next week. We'll see you later.